0: Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled, multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church.
1: Grab your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, Mm hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah! I like you know they, you know I, I got advice a long time ago, and uh, and the advice was you know how do you, how do you uh, how do you keep a good marriage? And the man would say you keep your wife drunk, <laughs> drunk in the spirit, right? Filled with the spirit of God. If you can keep the spirit of God in your house, then you're likely to keep your marriage strong, right? And uh, this uh, this I'm waiting. Oh, there's my wife. So uh, on Saturday, my wife and I celebrated 22 years of marriage. She's not paying attention to me right now. You know, there she is. Yeah. Hello. So 22 years. And uh, and uh, it's been it's been a bit of a grind at times. Can we be honest? Right. 22 years of marriage. And um, and I've learned a few things about relationships in 22 years of marriage right i, I um, it's funny cuz i was talking to uh, mike rentler and uh, mike rentler was talking with sue and uh, there's my bride now get me water see that's why we're married she keeps me hydrated <laughs> keep me hydrated when mike and sue were like oh it's their 22nd anniversary they're like ah they're just getting started right <laughs> And uh, we went out to dinner, my wife and I, on Friday night to celebrate. Um, we really try to sanctify our Saturday nights to kind of pray, stay at home, be prepared to, to minister. And uh, on Friday night, there was a, a big party at the restaurant that we were at, and uh, there was a girl celebrating her 21st birthday. And I was like, I was married before she was born, right? Like she wasn't even. Her parents may not have even known each other when I got married, and uh, and there she was celebrating uh, her big day. And uh, and um, but you know, I, I learned. I've learned a few things um, uh, in that time. I remember when we first got married. Uh, we got married here in Boca, uh, and uh, it was so exciting. It was um, a new adventure, right? We were in love, and uh, we knew new things were coming, and we're in a new season individually, and 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 just 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 everything was so exciting. Went on uh, went on a honeymoon to uh, the Bahamas, which is. Not necessarily the nicest place to go, but it's what we could afford, and uh, we went on there. And, uh, and I, I think I don't think we had our first fight until the second day of our honeymoon. So that was good, right? A <laughs> married fight, um, and so that was you know we're off to a good start, right? Uh, and um, and you know you know when you get married, I don't. For those of you who are single, uh, I'm not. You probably know this. Those of you married, you definitely know this. Uh, once you get married, um, there's some things to work out. There, there, there are some things, and love is great. Uh, and there's a reason God puts you in the blinding spell of love, because that's how you stay together, right? Um, in between the times of, of sheer anger. And, um, and c- because here, here's what's really important to understand uh, when, when, when you get married, uh, two people become one, right? Two people become one, and, and, and we, uh, we bring that down to rationalistic ideas. We bring that down to natural concepts. We, we, we minimize that, and we just say it now becomes a, a partnership, right? Our marriage is a partnership, people will say, and, and that's good phraseology, and I understand what you're getting at, but when I was in the business world, before becoming a minister, when we would form a partnership or a business, we would go to... A lawyer's office to uh, legalize and formalize the limited liability company for the partnership and one of the most important things you do when you form a business partnership is you define how you end the partnership right so if you're going into business with someone someone if you're thinking about starting a business the most important thing you need to do at the beginning is say how will we end this thing if one person decides to end it otherwise you have a partner who has checked out of the business, isn't working anymore, but still owns half of it. right? So you've got to plan these things ahead of time. How are we going to end things? I know all the legal scholars in the room say, of course, that's basic contract law. We know these things. This is what you do. But people go into things not thinking about how the end is going to look like. Now, when you get married, you're in love and you're kind of in that stupor and you think, of course, it's never going to end, so we don't need to plan these things. Well, it will end unless you plan for it not to end. Right? And so it's not a partnership, the Bible says. It's not two people coming into a, a contract. It's two who have decided to become one. And that's very, very different than a partnership. Now, when, when you get like a liver transplant, you, you take, so your body thinks like this is foreign and I need to kill it, right? Like I, this is a foreign thing and my body needs to kill it. So they give you these drugs that make your body not want to kill the thing that just got put inside of it. You understand that, right? And so if, you, if you're, if you're going to get an organ transplant, you get, these, you get these drugs that trick your body into the immune system, not killing the new thing in it. And uh, sometimes when you get married, uh, the change that your partner brings, you internally have this thing that wants to kill the change they're bringing to your life. <laughs> because you've already figured out what right is. And now you're joined to somebody else who's figured out what right is. And now these two have to become one and there's a, a colliding of who is right. And so we have, to, we have to decide how are we going to deal with the conflict in the relationship, right? What, 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 what's, 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 what's best? See, when you were growing up in your entire life, up until that moment that you walked up the altar and said that I do in front of God and your witnesses, up until that point, your entire life has been lived to survive, to protect your life, to flourish as you see fit, to keep the enemies away, the people who have hurt you, to keep them from continuing to hurt you. You have set up your entire life to protect yourself. And now, the sometimes it feels like the enemy is inside the camp, trying to change you. And you're like, no, 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 I'm defensive in this area for a reason. And they're like, no, 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 we don't have to be defensive anymore, because now I'm, I'm here. And, and we have to purposefully make this shift. We have to make this shift from, I need to protect myself. We have to make the shift to, I need to protect my marriage. Protecting my marriage is very different than protecting myself. Very different. And uh, when I got married, uh, believe it or not, I was a bit of a headstrong person. I, I have a tendency to have very strong opinions. And uh, I don't mind vocalizing those opinions. Uh, as a matter of fact, I do it every Sunday at a church very near you. Very, very near you. And um, I grew up without a father. And so the, uh, establishing my masculinity was kind of a big deal because I didn't have a man showing me how to establish my masculinity, right? Uh, at this point, I got kids, mortgage, you know, payments. I got all kinds. Of, I'm good, right? Uh, but at the time, <clears throat> at the time, it was very important to me. Uh, that I, and so I remember when we were registering for our wedding. Uh, you, you you register for gifts, and uh, we're in Target arguing about the bedspread. Like we're having a full marriage, wedding is in crisis, may or may not happen based on what bedspread, because my wife wanted a bedspread with, with a floral pattern on it. And for me, being a man, I wanted a masculine bedspread. Now, does this sound ridiculous to you? Because it is, right? It's absolutely ridiculous. But all of these insecurities, all of these things that we have set up in our lives are there to protect an area of vulnerability and weakness. We don't recognize that we have put up a fortress around something to protect us from an unseen enemy. And now someone comes in and they're like, hey, why don't we go ahead and let down this wall now? And you're like, no, 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 that wall is up for a reason. And now all of a sudden we're not arguing about bedspreads. We're talking about you challenging my masculinity, which doesn't make sense because we don't know ourselves well enough to understand why we're being triggered by things. We, 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 we have not done the hard work of understanding, allowing people into our lives to challenge our beliefs, to, to really get into our psyche to see, hey, brother, this is a problem right here. This is a weakness. Now, she has her own walls set up, and now you can expand your boundaries because she's got you protected on that side. Instead, we keep our own walls up. Is this making sense at all? Yeah. And so one, one of the worst things we can do in our marriage... Is try to be right this is one of the worst things we could do in our marriage, Is try to be right because if I am right that means that I've made my wife wrong and as I've said many times if we're in an argument and I win the argument and she loses the argument then the marriage has lost and if I lose the argument and she wins the argument the marriage has lost We're not protecting the marriage. We're protecting ourselves. And we need to now, as one, figure out how to not reject the new kidney so that we can live in health. This is what God wants. And God brought marriage. There's a reason that God joins people with different parts because they got to figure out how to fit together. Like this is how we do it. Like if. Like you this is no I have to learn how to be joined to someone different. This is why God does this. We need to have the marriage win. This is the fruit of love. when you have true love in your life, you will be you're willing to lose an argument so that the marriage wins now I have to give this disclaimer because there's always somebody in the room who was in an abusive situation and is going to feel guilty that they left an abusive situation. You never have to be abused for your marriage to win. Could I just tell you that right there? You do not have to be verbally, physically, sexually abused for anybody else's benefit. Nobody wins. If you're in a dangerous situation, leave. Alright? Can we, can we say that? You can live separately, stay married and work on it and if people don't want to work on it, then it is what it is, right? Like, like, like So I just I don't want to em- empower abusers here, but that's not what we're talking about, okay? Just want to give that disclaimer, all right? Be safe, okay? So anyways, so um, if nobody wants to be wrong, and we all want to be right, I don't know about you, I like being right. I read lots of books. I study a lot. I talk to a lot of people for the goal of being right. right? Like, I don't want to be wrong, I don't want to think wrong thoughts. I don't want to have wrong theology. I don't want to do things wrong. Maybe it's ego. Maybe it's my pride. Maybe it's vanity. Or maybe it's just prudence. I don't know. Maybe I just don't want to do things the wrong way. Um, but I want to be, we all want to be right. And uh, when we get saved, um, here's what happens. When we get saved, we come into the body of Christ. When we get saved, we become joined to the body of Christ. And in Luke 12... Jesus is preparing his disciples to lead this new one-person body called the body of Christ that we all become. See, Jesus knows that he's about to go to the cross, that he is going to die for the sins of man, he's going to be resurrected, and he's going to ascend into heaven where he will be interceding for the saints. And he, God the Spirit, is going to return And then he is going to make us one, as Jesus prayed in uh, John chapter 17, that we would become one. And we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to recognize that we are just like you're joined to a husband or joined to a wife. You are joined to the body of Christ. And if you're winning fights against the body, then the body loses. We have to understand... There's something bigger going on in this world than you and God. The whole concept of a personal salvation, a personal relationship, is actually a synchronization of Western philosophy. This is never part of historic Christianity. This came from rationalism, it came from um, neoliberalism, and and it came from this new world world. That, that, that Christianity uh, colonized and decided what's best for me is best for me. And what's best for everybody is not nearly as important as what's best for me. Historically, the church said when the church flourishes, God flourishes. And if I have to lose for the church to win, God wins and we're all better off for it. And so this concept of it's just me, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need a church, I don't need other believers, I don't care about them, is a new concept that is actually foreign to the Scripture and foreign to history. Are, are, are you following me at all? And we could kind of understand, given the idea that Jesus taught about two become one, and the body becoming one, all of a sudden, I can't just live in a way that just makes me happy. Just like the husband can't go out and say, oh, look, there's $2,000 in the bank. I think I'll just buy new rims for the car without asking the wife, hey, is that the mortgage payment? (laughs) It might be important to find out what that money is in the bank for, not just spend it on me because now we have lost our house, right? Like that's a problem. That's a problem. We need, to, we need to be one with our budget. We need to be one with our goals. We need to be one with our finances. We need to be one in the church thinking, it's not just about me, it's about, it's about we. So here we go. Luke that's, that's, that's my introduction. The rest will be quick. And you know how Jesus says, behold, I come quick. Luke chapter 1, excuse me, Luke chapter 12. This is our last message out of Luke 12 in this series. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1, Jesus is quoted. It says, under these circumstances, Luke writes, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. This is important. I'm going to pause here for a moment. If the God of all creation warns you of something, it's probably important. If he's telling you to beware of something, to look out for something, be cautious about something, there is danger down the road, and it was written in the scriptures for all time, that's something we need to understand and incorporate into our spiritual life. Can you say amen? Now here's what he tells them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What is that leaven of the Pharisees? Well, Jesus helps us out, and he tells us, "Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy." The leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. I want you to remember that. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you've whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed onto the housetops. Leaven is interesting because leaven is a is a it's, a, it's an organic thing that you add. And, and, and it goes all throughout the dough that you make. It, it it begins to multiply quickly. You can't isolate it. Once you get it in, it takes off. A little leaven leavens the whole lump the, the, the saying goes. Now, leaven is neither good nor bad in scripture. He talks about leaven negatively most times. One time he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. So it's not the leaven that we're scared of here, right? It is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Now, We use the Pharisees, uh, you know, the Pharisees, of course, were concerned with the law. They ran um, the, the synagogues as opposed to the Sadducees who were in charge of the temple. So for the Sadducees, the temple worship was super important. The temple needed to be the center of Jerusalem. They partnered with Rome in ruling the Jews because the Jews had to go to the temple. So they had a financial advantage over the Jews. Now the Pharisees had decided that the laws were the most important. They were very focused on legalism, on how you live as a person, because they were the ones in charge of interpreting the laws and we use pharisee as almost a caricature these days and it's easy to fall into caricaturing is that a word caricature making a caricature of the the pharisees like they're these people these legalistic people who are trying to put laws and but but what's interesting about the pharisees is um they spent their lives between judging good and bad and in everything they did they wanted to make sure they were doing what was good. And we would all say that's, that's probably a pretty good idea, right? Like, it's, there's worse motives, right? There's worse motives in trying to live your life doing what God says is good. And so they lived their lives judging between good and bad. And, and they did it so much that they invented whole books that interpret what the laws in the Old Testament mean. There's, there's the Mishnah. There's these teachings of the rabbis that help you understand why, how to keep the law so that you will be right with God. Now, if you are a practicing Orthodox Jew, you can't eat a cheeseburger. Did you know that? Do you know why they can't eat a cheeseburger? Because according to a Jew, you can't have dairy and meat on the same plate. Why? Why can't you? Because some rabbi, at some point, took the law in Leviticus that says, do not cook a goat in its mother's milk to mean we can't eat dairy and milk and, 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 and meat together. Now, you and I would say, that makes absolutely no sense. And I would say, amen, that makes absolutely no sense. What does that teach us, though, about what Jesus is trying to tell us? Well, these Pharisees were so concerned with living right for God they needed to be able to prove that they were righteous. And the only way that you can prove that you're righteous is by proving that you're more righteous than the person next to you. And the only way you can prove that you're more righteous than the person next to you is by pointing out where the guy next to you is getting it wrong. Literally, in order to be right with God, according to this system, you have to walk and live in judgment. Judgment becomes part of who you are. Judgment becomes your entire lifestyle. You're constantly judging what's good and what's bad and who's good and who's bad and what I can touch and what I can't touch and who I can be compassionate toward and who I can't be compassionate toward and who it's okay to gossip about and who it's wrong to gossip about and how I can be a hypocrite. How I can say that I'm good and I'm righteous but at the same point constantly judge the people around me. Jesus warns them, watch out, this level of hypocrisy is going to sabotage your faith. Because of their zeal for the law, they lost the lawgiver. They were so focused on me and how I can be good that they forgot that only God is good. And the whole point of the law was to say, you can't keep the law. You need me, God says. The whole point of the law was to say, you're never going to be good enough. But they said, no, no, give us more laws. We can, we can make up more rules. We can do more judgment. We can, we can come up with more ways to enact it. We can come up with more ways to condemn people. We, we got plenty of rocks to throw at people. God, like that wasn't the point. The point was to humble yourself and recognize that God is the one. And so, yeah, amen. Amen. They were so consumed with being good that they were not able to do good. Instead, they focused on who was bad. Jesus calls this level of judgment hypocrisy. This is what Jesus called hypocrisy. You're so focused on you being good that you can't do good. Now, if you notice, if you get this, and I'm, I'm going to try to hammer this, because I'm passionate about what I'm teaching today. God has done a work in my heart. I've encountered Jesus. This is, I've wrestled with this. I have spoken with theologians. I've read books. I am, I, I am convicted, convinced, and concerned that we do not take this warning in this day and age. I, 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 I think that you know, this judgment... This this hypocritical judgment that is sitting on the church today, it's a cancer to our witness. It is a cancer to our fellowship. It's a cancer to God's plan on the earth. And we're going to unpack this and we're going to see how we live with this admonition. Jesus is saying we need to watch the words that come out of our mouths. We need to watch for the gossip that we hear and see around us. We need to watch out for how we look at people. We, 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 we can't... I have... I, have ooh, I, I, I pastor people. I love people. And I have the most concerning conversations with people. I, I'm, I'm a little bit older than many of the people in the room here. And uh, I... I, I um, um, we just got to be less dumb, right? Like you, you... Like, how do I say this? Um, before I got saved... Uh, Many of you know my testimony. I I lived a a, a rather unsavory lifestyle. And, And I was smart enough to know that I learned the hard way that you cannot trust criminals. That sounds logical. But criminals are constantly offended that their criminal friends have done something criminal to them. It's the story of the, the frog and the scorpion, right? You, you, you know the story of the frog and the scorpion, right? Like the, the frog is swinging across, wants to go across a lake, and the scorpion says, will you give me a ride? And the frog says, no, you're a scorpion. You'll sting me, and I'll die. And the scorpion says, why would I do that? If, if you die, then I'll die. And he's like, all right, I'll give you the ride. So the frog gives the scorpion a, a ride, and halfway through the lake, the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog says, Why did you do that? Like, we're both going to die now. And he says, I'm a scorpion. It's what I do. Why do I tell that story? You can't trust untrustful untrustful people. Let me say it another way that has to go with this message. If somebody's gossiping to you about someone, they're gossiping about you to someone. (laughs) Do you know why? Gossip's Gossip. And the notion of trusting a gossip is stupid. Are you with me? Well, they're, well, they're a gossip. Well, they're a gossip. That's what, it's, a, it's like being mad at a two-year-old for having a fit. It's what they do, right? Like, it's literally what they specialize in, right? it's Like It's like, if they figured anything out, it's that, you know? I will throw myself on the ground and scream. You're like, oh, that's what they do. Yep, that's it right there. No, that's, 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 that's their trick right there. And hopefully they learn another one, because I don't like this one. It's getting old, right? This one has gotten old. And so... If you want to be a real friend and you hear somebody gossiping, you let them know, hey, uh, I don't know if you know this, but that, that, that gossip is the leaven of the Pharisees. This judgment that you've, it's toxic to your relationships with other people, it makes me wonder if I can trust you. That, that's being a friend, yeah? Yeah, yeah? yeah, and Jesus is warning us here. He's warning us. See, the, the Pharisees, they lived their lives on the judgment seat. They lived their lives constantly judging between who is right and who is wrong. And they spend their lives trying to see how do I be right so nobody can say I'm wrong. I want to make sure that I'm more right than anybody else in the room. And, 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 and Jesus, after telling this, he tells this story that seems unconnected. He tells this story of, of, of how God takes care of you. He's like, don't be anxious about your life. God takes care of stuff. He's like, you know, those birds, the sparrows, like they don't they don't know how to do anything. And yet and yet God takes care of them. So so you don't have to worry about these things. And God is saying in this story, you don't have to be concerned with all this judgment. I take care of you. You don't need to worry about whether you're more right than them or they have something bad to say about you or that how they're in judgment of you. So you need to change your life so that they approve of you. You don't you don't you don't have to be in that battle right there. Your God takes care of you. Amen. Amen. How do we know this? Well, Luke chapter 12, Jesus kind of hammers it home, verse 8. He says, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before man, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. It's settled, in other words. When you receive Christ, you've received him as your Savior, he's like, he's telling these people, you see these Pharisees, it's never settled for them. They're constantly living their lives trying to be good enough. He's like, that's not how you're going to live. The way you're going to live is you are going to meet the living God. And his spirit is going to come dwell on the inside of you. And the blood which will be shed soon will wash you clean. The father will accept you with open arms like the prodigal son. And then the Holy Ghost of God will come upon you, sealing you for the day of redemption like it's settled. I've confessed you before the father. Stop worrying. Stop earning. Jesus was like, listen, this is not something you need to be consumed with. You don't need to be concerned and consumed with being good. I want you to think a little bit more about doing good. See, anxiety with God produces anxiety with other people. And anxiety destroys your creativity. It's impossible to be creative and anxious at the same time. It chokes the the creativity out of you. Pastor Tracy, of course, counsels many, many people. And one of her go-tos, if you've not been counseled by her, she will at some point inevitably get you into a place spiritually where you will encounter God. And you will hear what God says about you. You see, my wife believes in doing the right thing. My wife is a rule follower. And once something has been established by an authority to her, that's what we're doing. Me, who's really an authority? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, <laughs> are they really, you know? But my wife, once a rule is established, it's established. And so for her, if she can get you to hear what God says about you, it's settled. If you hear something different, you need to go back to what the rule maker said. And the rulemaker said you're loved. The rulemaker says that you are beloved. The rulemaker says that you're accepted. The rulemaker says that you are cared for. The rulemaker says that you are never going to be alone, that he's going to work things out on your behalf. Like to her, that's settled. It is settled. And if she can get you to get in contact with God and hear his voice, it'll be settled for you as well. We can move from being focused on, 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 on trying to be good and move into just accepting that we've been accepted and that we are good. Duke got this. Amen. Duke got this vision. I was standing right over here. Worship was over. My wife's about to go up. I was like, someone, could, someone just got a word from the Lord. And I was like, oh, we, we need to hear that word. I know somebody got a word that, that we need to hear. And I went over here and just started quizzing the front row on over here. You're like, and so I was like, do you got a word? No. You got a word? Duke's like, I got a word, but it wasn't for everybody. I said, oh, yeah, it was. You're part of everybody. If you've got a word for you, you've got a word for us. You're a leader in this house. You're a trusted voice in this house. If you've got a word for you, you've got a word for us. And what was the word for us? Lean on God, not your own righteousness. And, and here's the other part of it. This is good. Here's the other part of it. Stop fighting your own fights. He said, The lion will do the attacking. All you got to do is lean on the lion. See, you, you, you write with God, you don't, you don't got to be settling all this drama everybody has going on around you. Like, if y'all like drama, do that. I'm, I'm just, I got other things going on. Right? I, I have other things to pour my energy into. I don't know about you, but like, I don't want to step on toes. This is why I don't watch reality TV. Like, if I want an argument, I'll have a family dinner, right? Like, I, don't, I don't need to go on the TV. I'll invite over the in-laws and my mom, and I just... I just, I, I mean, I don't, I don't got to go looking for drama. I can, it's, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, to me, that's like watching a show about, hey, look, there's grass in the yard. Well, I got that here. I don't need to go on TV for that, right? Jesus is like, no, listen, I, I, I'll, I'll fight. I, I got the fights. Don't worry about the fights. I got the fights. You lean on me, I got the fights. Amen. To which I say, amen. If you're, if you're involved in some drama, gossip, bitterness, whatever, lean on Jesus. You're like, but I've been kind of separate. Start leaning now. But don't I have to, no, 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 Jesus. But I need to, no, 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 Jesus. Jesus has got the fight for you, amen? <laughs> See, we can, we can move from, from focusing on, on getting what's mine to focus into what's best for the body. The devil wants to drag you into these arguments. He wants to drag you into these, 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 these slander contests. He wants to drag you into how do we tear other people down so that I can get up. That's the world. That is not you. That is not Christianity. Jesus is trying to move us into oneness of purpose in alignment with the will of God. Jesus is trying to move us into oneness of purpose in alignment with the will of God. And that means sometimes what's best for the kingdom is not necessarily what's best for me. It's almost as if Jesus... Now... Give me a little grace here. I'm going to stretch things a little bit, right? It's almost as if Jesus demonstrated a life of laying his life down so the body could flourish. It's almost as if we had someone who did not deserve to suffer anything, suffer everything, so we would have a model to follow of saying, I can't constantly live for what I think is best for me. Maybe, maybe the Father sent Jesus I don't know, to be an example for us. I don't know, maybe maybe when he said, take up your cross and follow me, perhaps it wasn't just allegorical. Perhaps he actually meant that there's going to be some times of suffering that will benefit the body and you're not going to get nothing out of it except for the fact that you know you have helped the body of Christ. Amen. Come on, somebody. If you got a kid, you know what I'm talking about. You know, if you got children and they like, 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 they complain about the food in the fridge. And you just want to grab them. I'm like, you know how much that food cost? <laughs> I don't like that cereal. Don't eat it. Season of fasting. I don't know what to tell you. That was $7 a box. You better eat every crumb that's in that thing, right? Like, you, you suffer a little bit so your kids do better. Amen. Hear me. Because they're important to you. They're important to you so you're willing to even... Even, even take care of ungrateful people, ungrateful little creatures, just draining the resources out of your life, constant, week after week, after month, years, years, and they become adults and don't even end. They just continue, just like constant, and you're like, hey, just, you know, just, if you could smile at me once in a while, that'd be all right, you know, just, uh, you know, that, that would be okay, just acknowledge that we're related online. That would be cool. You know, like, I'm not asking for a lot. I'm, I'm talking about someone else. Like, I'm not, not me, of course. This is someone else. But this is what you do for people you love. And God is like, hey, guess what? I'm going to join you to a bunch of people you don't even know. And I want you to live a life that's best for them. This is what I want you to do. Because that's, that's going to get my father. He's like, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm here demonstrating what that looks like. Because I'm so in love with the Father that I'm willing to lay down my life for His plan. You see, this is what it looks like to be completely yielded to, to, to my own desires, my own plans, my own benefits. For so, like I'm demonstrating this. Now what I want you to do this is do this for one another. And yet we got whole branches of Christianity who's taken it as their mission to put down whole other branches of Christianity and think that the Lord is with them. You couldn't be farther from the kingdom if you held a satanic symbol. You, you could not get farther from the kingdom. Like, oh, I'm, I'm serving our marriage well. I'm having an affair. No, actually, not so much, right? Like, no, you're partnering with the devil against the kingdom. Not, not so much helping the Father at all on this point. How, how, do, we, how do we, like, here's what happens. And this is a word we don't like to use a lot these days in Christianity. Surrender. You got to surrender. You gotta to surrender to thinking that you know how to judge every situation, that you know how to judge what's best for everybody else, that you that you judge we we, we gotta surrender a little bit and trust that the Holy Ghost of God is gonna lead us in the truth. That the Holy Ghost of God may lead us into times when I'm not getting everything I want. Understanding, as Duke said earlier, there is seed time and harvest time, both good and bad. And if you think you can sow weeds all up in your garden you're not going to get weeds, you are, weeds grow better than stuff you want. you got to work hard to get stuff you want. You can lazy and gossip your way into a whole garden filled with weeds. You can slander your way into little vines that kill every tree that you own. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So watch this. Jesus is trying to tell them about unity. We're, 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 we're coming close to and, so as soon as Jesus teaches us, watch this some dude walks up to him in the middle of the crowd, Jesus saying to this and in verse, verse 13 this guy says to him, someone in the crowd Luke tells us, someone, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me and Jesus said, this is important who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you well, it seems like this weird thing in the middle of it. And, and, and if you notice, every time in the New Testament, I want you to look at the Gospels. Every single time the people ask Jesus to make a judgment between them, he never does. He never does. Why? Because that is the opposite of unity. And Jesus refuses to get in the midst of division. He refuses. He says, who, who, who put me a judge? No, 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 I didn't, I, no, 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 no. Your job is unity. And you want me to help you with division? That's the opposite. It, it's like asking your kids, why don't you, mom and dad are having a fight, why don't you tell us who's right? Um, we're, you know, who, who do you think, you tell us who you think is destroying the marriage. Like, what? Well, now you're destroying the whole family. No, that's, No. No, Jesus is trying to tell us. He's not trying to tell us who's right and who's wrong. What he's trying to tell us is stop trying to be above other people and telling them that they're wrong. This, this, this is, this is, see, in marriage, when you are in disunity with your partner, you're in disunity with God. Like the, the, the marriage is in disunity with God. And, and, and when there's disunity in the body of Christ, the body is in disunity with God. And what we're looking for is unity. This oneness that comes when love prevails, then the Spirit comes and moves. That's why when you're in a a worship event and the Spirit comes and He moves and all of a sudden your heart is ignited and you just begin to love the people around you in a kind of weird way. It gets a little weird. You're like, I just love these people. And you hug people you don't necessarily want to hug. or You're doing stuff you wouldn't normally do, waving your hands. And uh, we used to have a, a worship leader who would, on the keyboard, he'd get so excited about Jesus, he'd stop playing keyboard and run around the room. And I'd be like, oh, go ahead, do you. It's date night for you with Jesus. That's all right. Do what you do. I'm, I'm okay with that, right? Because you do stuff. Like when, you, when you're in love, you, you do weird stuff. Anybody know what I'm saying? When you're in love, you do weird stuff. Proverbs 6, it's <clears throat> this. Uh, is, isn't, they don't have this. It's, but the Lord spoke this to me. It reminded me. I, I, out of the message version, it says, There are six things that God hates. That's probably important to know, right? Probably important to know what God hates. Here's how it says in the message. There's six things God hates and one more that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant. A tongue that lies. Hands that murder the innocent. A heart that hatches evil plans. Feet. That race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath, and a troublemaker in the family. A troublemaker in the family. Sixth thing that God hates. You don't disown a bad kid. You don't say I'm not your. I'm not your. I'm not your. I'm not your. You don't. You know your mommy and daddy. Acting stupid, we don't we don't disown them. We're like, I gotta, I got a little distance here, but I'm not going I'm not going to take my am not going to tell my sister to stop talking to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> Rationalism has taken over for faith. Rationalism says if it makes sense to me, then it must be okay. But the Word of God says surrender to God's truth. Rationalism says I can do an immoral thing for what I think is a good reason, then my immoral thing becomes moral. But sin is sin. Sin is sin. And God hates when people sin against the body of Christ, causing division, causing suspicion. There's a kind of a famous crazy pastor right now. I don't know if you've <clears throat> seen him on the, on the social medias. Uh, but he's talking about there's witches in his church. Has anybody seen these videos? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's fairly crazy. Uh, and, 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 and he's yelling. There's basically saying there's six witches in his church and he knows the names. And it sounds a lot like, I'm going to be honest with you. There's six women who are about to charge him with, you know, sexual battery. Or, or I'm going to be honest. This, I've, I've been in this game long enough to know what's going on. Or there's six women who are like, listen, we're leaving this church. You can come with me or not, but this is crazy. This church is crazy. But he's like, ah, there's six witches in this church. And so if I were to tell you there's three witches in the room right now, immediately you're going to start thinking, who is it? I've immediately caused division in the body of Christ so that you'll be connected to me. Because I'm the one who's going to save you from the witches. You see the manipulation involved in that. Oh, you can't evil. Don't trust anybody else. Only trust me. God calls this evil and he hates it. Are, are, are you getting this? <clears throat> so so we gotta stop looking at the people around us as competitors in the body of Christ. Yeah. And, 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 um, I don't know, I don't I don't know how many of y'all been around. Uh, but in the, in the, in the 90s and, and 2000s, there was a lot of teaching about revival. There was revival everywhere. Some, some of you remember this. It was just revival everywhere. There was just the Spirit of God was moving everywhere. And uh, kind of the, 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 the carrot that, that got everybody. If you got close enough to the speaker and the speaker laid hands on you, then you could be as rich and famous as the speaker. That was, that was kind of the underlying promise. It sounds perverted to speak of it that way. But that's what it was, right? Like, you could be as big and famous as me, right? You could have a ministry as big as me. And so people would fight to get in front. They'd wait in lines. They would race each other to the front of the seat. And I remember one time I was just like, this is, something, something about this is wrong. Like, we're competing with other believers to get to God? Like, is, is, does God not know where I'm sitting if he has something for me here? Like, is, is it, am I going to miss it because I'm not rude to another believer? Like, this whole concept is if I serve my brother, then I'm going to get less from God. If I were to give somebody a better seat than me, then I may lose out. It's, it sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? It sounds kind of secular. It sounds kind of humanist. It sounds rational, but it's ungodly. Are, are, are you following me at all? <clears throat> See, this, this whole idea of not being in competition with one another, if I can have the worship team coming up. This idea of, of, of not being in competition with each other—it's it's it's hard for us, especially men. I'm, I, I know, I know, I know you all women. Y'all like like you're gonna have a women's event and you're gonna dress better than you're dressing to a normal event. I know that. I know <laughs> women—they got their own little thing happening about I don't know. Like there's there's the women experience, fellas. You like as you get older, you'll get this. Like it's. That's why Christian women's groups have to be different. It cannot be a dressing contest, it cannot be a makeup contest, it cannot be a purse contest. It's got to be something better. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, ladies? Am I am I I stepping on your toes or no? Um, Are we okay? Are we are we are we okay? It's got to be something better. Dress up, look cute, do whatever you do. I don't care. It makes no difference to me. Uh, I'm married. I'm good. Right? Like I'm good. Men compete generally for power and prestige. I don't know what women compete. I don't, you know, I'm not a woman. I just, but y'all do it. Y'all, you watch a woman walk in the room, every other woman's looking. Yeah, okay, I see the, see the shoes. I see the outfit. I see the blouse. I see the purse. The nails. Ooh. Been a minute since you got this cleaned up right here. I see that. You know, like, like, hmm, are those eyelashes a little too much? Like, I, I see, I see, I see. And we don't even recognize that we're walking in judgment. Right? It's hard for us. Unity, this unity—it's against everything that we learn as Americans. As men, we want to dominate, we want to we, we we want to rule, we want to be in charge, we want to earn more money. But God wants us to not be in competition with one another. He wants you to be a Christian businessman who doesn't squeeze every penny out of every person he can. Like, perhaps there's going to be business deals that you make no money on because God told you. And that's a teaching for another day, but at some point we've got to choke mammon out of our lives. Psalm 133 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in, say it together, unity. I want you to get this. It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. Life forever. And so we had this bad theology that says I need to get over on other people. I'm threatened by other people getting ahead because I need to get the anointing. Whereas the scriptures tell us it's opposite. When you actually surrender, I mean, maybe the breakthrough that you need in your life is that you need to quit competing with somebody near you. Maybe, maybe, maybe the breakthrough you need is because the person you thought you were in competition with, you actually should be serving. Maybe the devil put enmity between you and your blessing. Somebody's going to get this and it's going to unlock something in your life. He talks about the dew coming upon Mount Hermon. Maybe the peace that has robbed you in this season is because you thought that you're in competition with someone else. Instead of praying, man, I feel bad for what they did, but I release them to God. He alone is the judge. He alone is the one who declares good and bad. For me and my family, we're just going to serve the Lord. Is this making sense for anybody here? Perhaps we need to pray through these prayers. I I want to let you know God will anoint you beyond your abilities when you put His desires first. God will anoint you beyond your abilities when you put His desires first. Remember the four prayers that we learned last week? Remember those? Wow, thanks, please. In this fourth one, yes, I surrender. Yes, God, I'll live in a way that does not look like the world. I'll live in a way that does not line up with my greed or my lust or my covetousness. Jesus sums it up like this at the end of the chapter. He was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately say a shower's coming. And so it turns out. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say it's going to be a hot day and it turns out that way. You, watch the word again, hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but you do not know how to analyze this present time. What does that mean? Well, these are farmers. They're farmers and they understand. I got to get my crops ready for the rain and for the heat. What's he saying? Oh, you know how to make money real good, but you don't know how to follow God. Oh, you understand the culture. You understand the society you live in, but you don't recognize the very living God who's here knocking on your hearts. Literally, he's like, your crops are doing good, but the Messiah is standing in front of you and you're busy arguing about who's right and who's wrong. Not recognizing you're both wrong. I'm, I'm, I, just, I, feel this, I feel the spirit doing something here. <clears throat> and so Jesus is going after the Pharisees. And again, it's easy to judge the Pharisees, to, 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 to make a caricature of them. But he's really going after the Pharisee in each of us. The real Pharisee Jesus is dealing with right now is not the hyper-legalistic Christians over there Or the church on the other side of town. Or that deacon who said whatever about the pastor. No, no. The Pharisee he's going after is me. The Pharisee he's going after is you. Who thinks we know how to judge that we're better than somebody else. That we're the right one and they're the wrong one. Because Jesus is infinitely concerned about our hearts. Stand with me if you would. He ends this chapter in chapter 12 talking about a man who's on the way to see the judge. And in the story Jesus tells this, watch this, it's going to make sense now. In the midst of all this teaching, at the end of the chapter he says, it's like a man who went to go see the judge. And I tell you, that man on the way needs to make up with the person he wants a judgment against. And he says, because one day you're going to meet the real judge. And the real judge is going to come and say, why weren't you walking in forgiveness? Why did you think you were at a place where you could bring a case against someone else? It's not the kingdom. And it's not my desire. And so as we wrap up here, I want to invite you today into like an amazing freedom that God gives. And this this is this is that freedom. Here here it is. You ready? God is God and I'm not. Let's say it together. God is God and I am not. And judgment is so caustic and so powerful that only Jesus can handle it. Because He's so pure, it doesn't defile Him. You and I can't handle judgment. We can't judge righteous judgment against other people. And so what I want us to do is I want us to pray. Maybe... Maybe, maybe you came here not knowing why you came here today. Jesus is like, hey, I want to give you forgiveness so you can walk in forgiveness. Maybe you're dealing with anxiety today, and Jesus is like, hey, I want to lift the anxiety off your life. I want you to get the fact that your judgment is irrelevant. Your judgment about the future is irrelevant. Your judgment about the past is irrelevant. Your judgment about what people are saying about you is irrelevant. All the judgments you've come to are irrelevant and you've wasted a whole lot of time thinking about them. You can't change any of it. So might as well just give it up. Is this making sense? And You can only do that once you've received from the only one who's worthy to judge forgiveness. The only one who's worthy to judge you has decided I'm going to give you forgiveness. And when you recognize that then you get to easily walk in forgiveness. Move from being a Pharisee into part of the kingdom of God. Amen. So if you've not given your life to Christ yet, if you've not like accepted that forgiveness, here's what I want you to do. I'd like everybody, just kind of put your hands out right now so we don't want to single anybody out. Just kind of put your hands out right now. I just want you to just, just... Kind of mouth it with your own words and everybody kind of mouth it with your own words fresh. Lord, I just give my life to you. I surrender. I surrender my judgments and I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Everybody, if your neighbor's not doing it, feel free to judge them and give them an elbow, right? Like this is is an exception. Just like Jesus, I, I accept your forgiveness today and I choose to walk in grace and forgiveness. And we're going to sing this song one more time. In surrender to God. Make me a vessel. Come on, this is you surrendering. Make
0: me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. God, I came here with nothing. But oh,
1: That is the anointing that will come out of your life when you surrender to God's will. That's the anointing you're after right there. This new wine that will help you solve the the, the anxieties, the depression, the things that are weighing on your conscience. You need this new wine. Come on, let's sing that again.
0: So make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. God, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me.
1: body of Christ to glorify God with our lives in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said amen, amen and amen, amen God bless you all, thank you for joining us, the ladies are going to CPK for some food go have some fellowship we love you and we will see you on Sunday in Jesus name amen and amen and amen God bless you